Hey guys, in this episode, I am joined by Michael Julian, the founder of the popular page Festival Advisor, whose work in the festival and dance music industry spans over 20 years. MJ has most notably worked with Electric Zoo, Made Event, and Awakenings as their head of marketing, and is now the head of El Rose North American Division. Needless to say, MJ brings a tremendous amount of experience and wealth of industry knowledge to the podcast today, so get excited and let's get into it. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to Rave Culture Cast, your weekly guide to the EDM community, music festivals, and more. I am your host, Emma Capotis. Happy Wednesday, fam. I am so pumped to finally put this episode out. You guys have no idea. Um, Today marks, I guess you could say, the start of a new chapter in more ways than one. A lot of things have been going on behind the scenes that I have been quietly working on. And today I am going to share a very big announcement with you. So you have to stick around till the end of this interview to find out more about that. But It's really, really exciting. Nothing changing here on Rave Culture Cast, but just some cool new opportunities, which leads me to today's guest. So today, like I mentioned in the intro, I have Michael Julian on, who is one of these people that is just very well known in the industry. And if you guys have been looking for a new perspective, because I definitely haven't had somebody with this much experience in the industry on the podcast yet, but if you want more insider knowledge on the industry and what it's like working in the, you know, on the marketing behind some of the biggest events in the United States, like Made Event, uh, all of their events, and Elro and Electric Zoo and Awakenings and so many more. Yeah, today's guest is behind a lot of that. Um, MJ. I'm just going to jump right into things here, honestly, because I'm really excited to introduce him. But yeah, MJ's background. So he started as a promoter in the New York City area, uh, working in the nightlife industry, had a ton of experience there. And then, you know, we also talk about the growth of the EDM scene in general in the United States. He's made a lot of friends and is pretty well connected. And I feel like a lot of people know each other if they've been working in the festival scene or, you know, the dance music industry for this long. So we're going to chat a little bit about, you know, that growth and what it was like to see that happen, especially in the New York City area. Um, We're going to talk about Electric Zoo and Maid Event and how both of those contributed to the growth of the EDM scene in New York City. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about international events versus American events. Um, Most notably, you know, he is the head of Elro's North American Division, which is an international, you know, immersive experience that they brought to the United States for an American audience. So we talk a lot about that. Uh, If any of you guys have ever experienced an Elro event, I'm sure you know how crazy and over the top they are. Um, And we talk about so, so, so much more. Honestly, he's so interesting and I was super honored to have him on here. Um, And I just think you guys are really going to enjoy hearing his perspective and some of the stories that he has to tell. So Uh, Before we dive into that, um, oh, and give him a follow, of course, you can connect with him on social media at the one and only on Instagram and Twitter. And again, he founded Festival Advisor, which some of you guys might follow on Instagram. Uh, They do a ton of fun stuff for festival fans and EDM fans. So at Festival Advisor and the newest member of the family at Festival Insider is something I'll talk about a little bit later, but that's more like industry news and things like that. And he's working on building that up right now. So definitely stay in touch with Festival Insider if you guys are interested. Um, Okay, before we dive into the interview really quickly, you guys know the drill. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would very much appreciate you sharing it with somebody today. You know, make it your Instagram stories, tag at Rave Culture Cast, send a link to your rave fam, whatever it may be, tweet it out. Um, And of course, you can always rate, review, and subscribe wherever you like to listen. Um, That is all so, so, so appreciated. And lastly, come join our family. We have over 500 ravers and music festival fans in our Facebook group. It is so much fun. I love just throwing like random links and popping in there all the time. So definitely, if you guys are not a part of it already yet, you should be. You don't want to miss out on the conversations happening over there. So there's always a link in the show notes if you guys want to connect with us on Facebook. 
Alrighty, and the last thing I'm going to say here is our affirmation of the week. So this is a basically like a new segment I started. I'm really into affirmations. They're basically something you can just, you know, say out loud, write it down. Just you're putting something out into the universe and we're sort of like manifesting here. So the one I picked this week is I create my own destiny. I create my own destiny. Again, say it out loud, write it down, whatever you guys want to do. This one I thought was really important because... If you want something, you have to go out and get it. No one is going to do it for you. No one is going to put in the work. You have to find that drive within yourself to do something. You have to take risks. You have to make yourself uncomfortable because that is where you see actual change and that is where you see things happen. So yeah, a lot of that kind of plays into today's episode, but my affirmation is I create my own destiny. So get after it this week, you guys. Go after what you want. Create your own destiny. Create your own dream life. Um, it is possible if you put the time and energy into it. So with all that being said, please join me in welcoming MJ to the podcast. Again, go connect with him on social media at the one and only. So to kick things off, first off, welcome to Rave Culture Cast. I am super excited to have you here today. I have a couple different topics I want to dive into today with you that I don't think we've covered on the podcast yet. But um, oh, and we have a very exciting announcement to share at the end as well. So everybody stick around. (laughs) I'll just tease that now. But to get started, could you do a quick uh, introduction to yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you do, and what you're passionate about just to get started? Yes, I can try. (laughs) My name is Michael Julian. A lot of people call me MJ. My full name is actually Michael Julian Cavado, but I came to New York in 1992 from a country called Belarus, Mm -hmm. and nobody could have pronounced my last name. They tried, and they couldn't write it out either. It was always misspelled and mispronounced. My father's name was Julian, so at some point... I just said, okay, you know what? I'm just Michael Julian. And that was kind of when I was still a kid and, you know, promoting and it just kind of stuck. And I got to the point where I don't even know which paperwork has Kavadla and which doesn't anymore. So I had to kind of regroup when I got to my 40s, like, wait, you know, (laughs) I got to look into it. But yeah, I came with my family to States when I was 13 or 14. Okay. We settled in Brooklyn and I grew up in Brooklyn. When I was 16, I went to Limelight and that was kind of the beginning of the club scene for me. I really loved it. And, you know, I wasn't a club kid in high school, although I've gone a few times. It was really as soon as I graduated high school that I started uh, frequently going. And I've gone to this place where I just loved it and I didn't want to do anything else. And the question was like, okay, well, how do I do this? And work on what school and so music has become my passion and then that turned into the real passion which is make parties for people to go crazy and have a good time and that's really addicting and that's why at 43 I'm still doing it now Mm -hmm. that's awesome what made you initially want because you started as a promoter correct when I was in high school, I threw a party at the Jewish catering hall with a couple of friends. I remember okay. with the like, black and white flyers, so that was kind of my first step. But <laughs> the, the real uh, first push was when my friend Tony Versus have invited me to work with him and uh, run guest list and tunnel and sound factory and other clubs. Mm-hmm. Now, by then, I was already, I think, 18, So and I've done some events myself with friends in Brooklyn. Uh, of course, it wasn't electronic music. I was just right. music. And we kind of, it just kind of started and never ended. And and the mm-hmm. funny thing is, I'll never forget when I was like in my early 20s, and we were doing really well. By then, we were running this club Exit, which is what Terminal 5 is now. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we were making more money than I could ever imagine as right. like 19 or 20 year olds. But I'll never forget, there were like 32-year-olds, and I was like, shame on this dudes. Like, they're old. <laughs> like, what the hell are they still doing in club world, you know? Right. That's not embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's how my outlook was. But as the time went on, 
there was a lot of evolution. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's evolved from me running guests that didn't go much. That wasn't what I really wanted to do. What I wanted to do was build a team. <clears throat> so I built a, a really big team. I was lucky enough to have partnerships with some really great people. And, you know, we were really f- close friends back then. And so a lot of promoters, we weren't really fighting, but we were actually teaming up and doing parties together. And as a result, there was a lot of really successful residences in New York that lasted for a long time because everybody was all in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in hindsight, some of these guys that were there still with me, they're still doing it now. You know, some are in Vegas, some are in Miami, some are in Europe, but it's just nice right. to see how everybody stayed in the game. Just only really proves how much we loved it. And, you know, it wasn't done for money. It wasn't like 10 years ago whenever the EDM boom started and everybody started rushing to it, like, oh, there's money in it. Yeah. We didn't. This, that was not for money. I mean, we were making money, yes. Mm-hmm. But that's not why we were doing it. Right, right. And you just mentioned a couple other big cities. I know you've been in New York the whole time, but what has it been like to see the nightlife scene slash like the EDM scene grow in Manhattan and Brooklyn? Oh, it was... You know, it was such incredible up and down in New York. You know, I've been very lucky to be involved in events in many other cities as well. So I've seen the evolution, like in Vegas, for instance, when we were doing shows in Vegas, there's a guy, there's a guy, Chris Reader, you know, mm-hmm. who back then launched a company called NYC and the Move. And the idea was we were going to like Vegas, Miami, Cancun and doing parties for New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. And back then, this is before the trend kicked back on traveling so it was a big deal you know i think a lot of this new yorkers only went everywhere because chris and the team that he had around him with me mm-hmm. and many others pushed people to travel so you know in vegas i remember we were doing events there was nothing in casinos casinos were very against it casinos mindset was like you can't have a club inside of the casino because then people are not gambling while they're drinking Okay. Yeah. So it took him a long time, and uh, people that knew what they were doing, including Alex Cordova, who was one of us here in New York from mm-hmm. those partnerships I told you about, to come to Vegas and kind of settle in, and then it changed. Same New York, also. It, like I remember when I just started parking in Manhattan was not possible. Like, you couldn't park. It didn't matter right. Wednesday, Thursday. It was just no parking anywhere. Mm-hmm. It was alive at all times. And, you know, I can't remember at what point it kind of, it went up and down, you know, after September 11th, there was some downswing for sure. Sure. But then suddenly by like 2004, 2005, all the smaller clubs opened up and there were blocks in Chelsea where there were like six, seven venues on the same block where Twilight used to be, where original sound factory used to be, that became spirit but the bungalow eight was across and kane was there and then crowbar built on top of twyla's garage it was all on the same block and there was more so you know we went from nowhere to park to kind of empty ish to like back again people walking around with sandwich boards promoting parties like manhattan was buzzing to then again completely dead and there was more hip-hop tables vaps Mm-hmm. Than electronic music and we used to have a lot of clubs in Manhattan in New York right. and then just everything disappeared and Pacha literally stayed as the only dance club that mm-hmm. was consistent yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Brooklyn scene then kind of kicked off and there was always a Brooklyn scene but I think when uh, Nicholas Matar went and opened Output and then Jan and those guys opened uh, mm-hmm. I forget what it's called now uh, across the street that kind of boosted the broken scene. But the scene yep. in New York for that music, for house, it wasn't big. Like you couldn't have an output, then uh, their club, and then another three, four parties. There wasn't enough people in New York to sell them, which is crazy now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the EDM boom came. Yeah, and Electric Zoo was doing great. You know, the mm-hmm. festival was doing great. EDC came to New York. But even then, <clears throat> the clubs themselves, it was never like today's Friday and there's four big shows in New York. No, mm-hmm. it was like one show, you know? Right. So the club scene wasn't catching up to the to the trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Billy from Brooklyn Rush came. And I think if you build it, they will come is real. And and I told him this since mm-hmm. the beginning. I'm like, dude, you're gonna this is gonna change New York club scene. Yep. Just because we need the venue. <clears throat> and that's exactly what happened. 
Right. And we were able to come in as main event and produce so many shows there in the past 18 months before pandemic that I don't know if we've ever produced so many shows as made in, in that period of time. Mm-hmm. And that was because uh, people just wanted to go. Like this music, it was just, you know, yep. coming up and the house music and EDM kind of became different EDM. It was a better sound. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, right pre-pandemic, New York got to be in the best place. I've seen it in terms of electronic music and nightlife mm-hmm. since those glory days that probably ended <clears throat> in the very end of the 90s you know right right yep and i think new york was ready to have multiple venues and have them all sold out and mm-hmm. finally be in a place where like hey there's seven shows on friday and they all are doing well and that's right. what we've been waiting for so this wasn't a very timely <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's been sad to watch some people not only obviously lose their loved ones, but also are not able to stay in this industry anymore because mm-hmm. of the lack of jobs and everything. Right. right. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I think I was going to almost once a month or at least once every other month, a show at Avant Gardner or the Brooklyn Mirage, which completely transformed how it was there do you have a preference between you know you have in new york city like the nightclubs like lavo and things like that and then you have then you started to see the brooklyn warehouses start to take off output was one of my favorite clubs i'm so sad that closed but do you have a preference over the warehouse shows versus more of like a club life it's not a preference it's just that you can build a different experience so if you walk into a warehouse you can imagine things and create Mm -hmm. a show Right. If you yeah. do it in a club, it's the same setup. And again, in case of Avant Gardner, I'm lucky to have the venue in New York. You know, I speak to my friends in LA and they're like, we wish we have a Brooklyn Mirage in LA. Like, you know, it's a really rare space. But yeah, the, 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 you know, warehouses are always fun because yeah. you can transform it for different artists, different, you know, brand. While the clubs are clubs. Was that said, you know, when we just started out, it was all club nights and no one's ever complained, including myself. You know? yeah. <laughs> so it, it's two different things. It also depends on people. Like you said, you know, some people like me mm-hmm. in my clubbing, clubbing days, like I was, everybody knew where to find me, whether it was a Thursday or Tuesday or Saturday, depending on what time of the night or the morning, they knew where it was. It was like a system, you yeah. know? Friday early, we were at Roxy, and then we would go to Tunnel for after hours, and then we would be, you know, in the Sound Factory on Saturdays, but at 2 p.m. we would be at Twilo, and by 9 p.m. we would be at After After Party, and if we were still breathing by Monday, we were elsewhere. It was just like a system. The New York club scene was just impeccable. It's nothing that can be explained by words, and those who live through it, they'll understand it, you know, but we didn't have much warehouses or piers or parks or nothing like that mm-hmm. uh, at that in, in that era you know before there were there were people doing things on, on the island there were raves on randall's island many many years ago it just you know mayors changed a lot giuliani came in and made a lot of changes so right. you know, the the people changed the generations changed the music tastes change it, it's crazy to see this you know up and downs and just changes because like to me in my head I'm always so anybody that I ever speak to yep generally speaking my brain thinks they're older than me I'm like a kid always (laughs) like it's very hard for me to ever make a conscious understanding that I'm older than anyone you know right right so I'm like a kid but it's a fun environment to be in though I mean what is your I don't think you've mentioned this yet on the podcast yet but what is your favorite type of music now or type of EDM and do you go to shows for fun or are you pretty much only going to shows when you're working now (laughs) my music has always been house music but I love a lot of different genres of electronic Mm -hmm. As the time went on, an understanding of what is house music became very like iffy. There's so many subgenres of anything. Mm-hmm. The better music for me has always been like a deeper house. So we're talking like a Dixon and Inner Visions, mm-hmm. those vibes. Now is a lot popular than it once was, you know. But yep. I will groove to any house techno music. I like it. It's just a matter of how long am I going to be. <laughs> you know into it but yeah. you know where we are 
if we need a break, we go to a green room, we hang out. You know, the, the beautiful thing about house music, and um, it's probably, it covers a lot of electronic, but it's specifically in house music. Mm -hmm. When I'm in a green room, when I'm backstage, when I'm with my colleagues and peers and friends, I see the same people I saw 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. To me. Right. You know, it's like same family. It's insane how that, um, that means the world. Like you go mm -hmm. to, you know, and you have your kind of schedule to your, to your question. I don't really go to New York shows anymore unless they're ours or it's a very good friend right. inviting. I just simply can't. There's two kids and there's a lot of travels, mm -hmm. but I still travel to the festivals. Yep. Even though it's not as much as before, you know, my favorite one of all for travel was always BPM, and, you know. The, um, but now, you know, Awakenings. I absolutely love Awakenings in late June. I mean, it's just such a great experience because it's outdoor. It's eight, nine stages. It's all house music. And you come in there, you already know. You're going to see every friend you have for like 20 years from all the countries. And you're going to awesome. hang out with them. And, you know, you're going to go to Time Warp in April and you're going to hang out with them. And, you right. know, I can't go to Ibiza too often these days, but I try to go for open and closing parties. And again, you go in and you see all your friends and you have your dinners. It's like, it's like having a very extended family worldwide. Mm -hmm. All stay in touch. You know, we may not talk for four months at a time, but then like we connect and, you know, it's one of those, you, you make those bonds. They never meant to be broken. People have kids and grow up or mm -hmm. some people like me, but don't grow up and yeah. have kids. <laughs> but, you know, we stay friends and uh, yep. people evolve. It's very, it's, it's, it's a good feeling to see when we get together and the promoters and the owners of different festivals and, you know, we're having these conversations over dinner mm -hmm. and, and they're not talking about how do we sell tickets or what DJ we're going to book. We're talking about, hey, we have all these people now that they follow us, they listen to us. How do we use this power to inspire them for things that are important? Like, how do we take sustainability to a place where people understand why it's so important to care of Earth or, mm -hmm. you know, health? How do we teach the kids to take care of themselves? Like, okay, yeah. great, you come, you're rave, we got you. But there's <laughs> so many things. And, you know, people, people that have been doing this, <clears throat> especially those that were lucky enough to sell their brands and already monetize, they're still mm -hmm. doing it. It's, it's, it's like love that never goes away. It's like loving your own kids. It's right. real. And right. that's why you see this people stay in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I just thought of a question. I feel like you'll have a good opinion on this topic, but, you know, post COVID when events come back, you just mentioned two festivals that I haven't been to yet, but how do you feel about people or fans who attend the same events over and over again versus branching out to either travel and, and do ones that are abroad and things like that? I know you own Festival Advisor, which has great tips and advice for people who want to travel. But yeah, how do you feel about attending the same ones over and over again versus doing new ones? <laughs> it really depends. So like for me, I will be attending the same ones. Yeah. I will have one year where I'll make time work, for instance, and BPM and another word, another another year in, in instead of time work and BPM, maybe I'll go to boom and sound waves, you know. So mm -hmm. I have like rotating schedule but it's me now. If I was 25, <clears throat> right? I, there's no doubt that the best way to do this is to go to different festivals all the time. There's an enormous amount of festivals from Vietnam mm -hmm. to Thailand to Russia to Australia. I mean, and everything in between. Euro, Europe. I mean, like the, the whole the whole season is all festivals everywhere. That's why a lot of uh, artists, especially house music guys. They don't take gigs in America is because <clears throat> they have like an after party in Austria at nine in the morning, you know, <laughs> at 1 p.m. They go and do the festival stage somewhere in another yeah. country at five. And then they fly to Ibiza and do a night party. It's all there. It's like mm -hmm. <clears throat> nonstop. If I was 25, I would try to experience more because it's not just the music, right? It's the culture, mm -hmm. it's the scenery, it's the food. I'm a big foodie. Yeah. So for me, that was always a big reason why I traveled to so many places, like going to the best, most tastiest restaurants was a part of my excitement. It wasn't mm -hmm. just the festivals. Yep. And I always felt that, you know, the fans don't realize that if they don't fly in on a Friday and don't live on a Sunday just to do that festival thing, Yep. Go on a Wednesday and leave on a Tuesday. 
hey, the zip line, watch uh, whales, uh, do culinary experiences, go and travel the world, climb the mountains, do whatever, and then in the middle go to the festival. So, right. you know, when, when we'll launch Festival Advisor, that will be my intention to like kind of inspire people to create this travel adventure culture. Like, mm-hmm. have adventures. Because if you go into the same place, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, most of the headliners will always be the same also. Mm-hmm. Like, how many times can you attend the same festival <laughs> yeah being an organizer it's very hard to say because we want everybody to come back but the truth is i'm not saying don't come back i'm just mm-hmm. saying this year you went here yeah. next year go someplace else the year after you can come back again you know mm-hmm. it helps everyone because i think it grows this overall scene and it gives people an ability to really live their lives and experience more and i think that yeah. ultimately will lead to more people loving the festival life loving the travel loving the cultures and I don't think festival organizers will, will lose out, you know? And also, right. the festival is great, and I'm a fan, and I had that, and I had a great experience. The biggest favor I can do to you is not actually return. That's mm-hmm. obviously good, but tell others, like, hey, this was a great festival. Have you been? Yeah. No, I highly recommend. That doesn't right. mean I have to come back. Yeah, but, but as you know, you know, the, the family vibes of friendships, and you want to mm-hmm. see the same faces, that matters. So, you know, I think... I think this is something that it depends on, on a lot of factors on your groups, but yeah, right. I would inspire people to get together and schedule some years ahead even the fest, do the wish lists, mm-hmm. right? Where right, you want right. to go with intentions like, hey, I've never been to an Asian festival. Let's go and see that. I've never been to Australia for a festival. Let's go look at kangaroos while we dance, right? Right, right. No, I completely agree with you. I think it's cool too. Some of the festivals, like I know Tomorrowland has like a global journey package, which you can tack on traveling and then go with a group, which I think is helpful too. If people like don't want to plan their own itineraries, but I, I completely agree. I think after this too, everybody just is going to want to travel the world and want to like tack on experiences to their events. So I will definitely be looking at Festival Advisor. But speaking of your own events, I definitely want to dive into those. I guess we'll start off with New York. You've worked with Electric Zoo over the past 10 years. So can you talk about how you've been involved with Electric Zoo and if you have any favorite memories or specific years you particularly enjoyed? (laughs) Um, How I got involved? Well, me and really good friends were involved in a lot of different venues in New York. So... At some point, we were running a club called Spirit, which is they're actually the original Sound Factory, and then the Twilo, mm. and uh, Mike Mike Binger and Laura De Palma, who were the founders of Made. I knew them, but we didn't have like a real relationship. They came in and they started doing Friday nights there, and me and the owner of the clubs kind of had a fallout, and so I went to Corbin next door. It was with my friend, all my friends working there. Those were also glory days, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is where after September 11, finally the scene came back. This is like 2004, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mike continued doing really great shows, and I still had a lot of. I had a. I had built a really big team by then. So, me and Mike uh, had a conversation, and I started helping out with some of the shows because I had a street team, and we would just integrate my street team for for the main shows. I really liked their vision, and then. You know, one day Mike basically explained to me where he's going and the vision of really big production, no money spared, mm-hmm. the vision of coming out and creating festivals and doing, you know, events in the special venues. That was very inspiring. And I honestly, I was tired of doing clubs. I mean, we were doing five, six nights a week. It's not like now, Friday and Saturday. There was a party every night yeah. of the week we were doing. And, yep. and, you know, there were nights where we were doing multiple parties, right? And after. So for me, yes. by then, I already, I got, I was married and, you know, I felt like everything was getting out of hand and, you know, I was already, I don't know, already, I was probably in my late 20s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God, the time flies. And, uh, you know, I have spoken to Mike and, you know, I was working with Mike and Laura on those shows. And then one day there was a Danny Tenegla event and one of my promoters lost a lot of tickets and it was like, you know, it was a substantial amount of money. And me and Mike had that conversation and we had to like sit down and have to explain him a few things. And he was, he didn't know, I guess, how big my team was. And he was like, wow, what, what can we do together? And mm-hmm. so, you know, they were already doing great. Honestly, they were probably already on, on top of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came in and that's when we started doing a lot of Pacha shows as made. And then Mike 
Laura started picking up those venues. I was really looking forward to. So we did McCarran School. I remember we did Armand and Buren McCarran School. We did that pier where Titanic was going to dock on the west side. I forget what it's called. Okay. We did Paul and Dyke there. They did everything, Tobacco Warehouse. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, we did, we were doing a lot of um, Midtown venue. Oh my God, I'm losing my mind now where we did like a <laughs> trans. I remember doing Roseland, it was called. We did okay. Above and Beyond, I'll never forget that Mike and Laura were like really great. And Mike had that system where, you know, this is like pre-major big data or internet days where he kept the sales day by day of all the shows. And I remember we had Above and Beyond for Halloween. And uh, I think we, we, were, we were using street teams a lot and boroughs a lot, which wasn't what Made was about before I came in. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, I think the internet was like kind of picking up and, you know, Mike uh, thought that we we're going to flop that show was above and beyond because just the numbers weren't there. Sure. And I was like, Mike, this is not the same world. I'm telling you, like with the internet, things are really changing. Mm-hmm. I can feel it. And we sold out. And that was shocking because there was not a spikes like this where like suddenly we just sold 30% of the event in like two days right. for something for a show like that. It was expensive. Wow. And that's where I really got to start uh focusing on the internet and you know i had a friend who was very successful his name is gene and you know he totally welcomed me into his organization so while i was doing the clubs that was made i was learning internet (laughs) back then internet but digital marketing and and things like that and what has happened is i really really quickly managed to understand how much of a difference this can make and so when Mike and Laura were ready to share with me that they got on the Randall's Island to do the first electric zoo, I'm like, dude, screw posters, radio, flyers, none of it. I know how we're going to sell it, internet. And, you know, they trusted me. Mm-hmm. And they've put their faith in me and really then we moved the budget from things that everyone else was doing mm-hmm. to things that no one was doing. We were right. running YouTube ads. We were doing retargeting campaigns. Mind you, neither Facebook nor YouTube nor Google offered retargeting, but we were doing it. We right. mastermind how to do Facebook ads from the DJ before the pages were. There was no pages. So we had right, to like, right. contact, I think it was Paul Morris helped us with Tiesto where like they had to add our email into his like personal account so that we can run the ads from him. That's that yeah. is that long ago. But back okay. then, no one was doing it, and things just picked up, and we started focusing on video content. And, like, you know, we were doing things that no one was doing. Okay. And I think that's how Electric Zoo really grew. Wow. We were able to have, like, a, a, for, a reach. And I remember first, especially first few years, the amount of people that were traveling to New York for Electric Zoo was insane. Mm-hmm. Because there was no festival in Baltimore or nearby cities or Boston, Philadelphia. Right. Yep. So everybody came, but also a lot of people came from other states. So it was it was fun watching it grow. Yeah, for sure. Oh my god! And then for I mean, cut to the last few years, say like you know 2016 through 2019, is it more difficult to sell tickets now because there's so many festivals, or you know the interest has been growing? Is it still? I don't know. Like, how do you approach ticket sales in more recent years? You know. It just depends on a lot of variables. There's no doubt how much important the artists are. And everybody can say, hey, you know, it's a brand, it's an mm-hmm. experience, and it, it most certainly is. But if yep. you take all the headliners out, you're just not going to be able to compete with another festival. So all the festivals kind of keep up the lineup yep. according to their attendance. And if they have the right talent for their DNA, mm-hmm. they can sell well because the market is significantly bigger. So even though, yeah, there's a lot more competition, there's also a lot of people, a lot more people that are willing to travel and pay this type of money and, and, and you know, adopt, uh, really, really engage festival fans and they want to go. So the, the, the pool of people, so, so mm-hmm. to speak, has gotten much bigger. The yeah. way people choose the festivals, you know, the, these days, there's a lot of factors. People love new festivals, but also the OG festivals, the guys that have been around for mm-hmm. they get respect and people always go there. Yep. You, know? uh, you can't trick people. The, those days are over. If once upon a time, there was all these tricky ads, we're the best festival. None of that matters anymore. Yeah. Press matters a lot less. 
whereas once upon a time press was used to promote festivals now press is really to cover and preview festivals mm -hmm. so it's all proper there's no like sponsored stories about how amazing one or the other festival is yep. for people to go you know i think it's in the best interest of all promoters it's just to provide the best experience for the fans because that's what mm -hmm. makes them want to come back more and more and more and yep um, you know it just it makes everything bigger i think that there's right. so many different electronic music genres and subgenres right now that this mm -hmm. place for everyone and of course you know look at the artists i mean once upon a time it was impossible to break artists through in five years maybe right on a really big scale now you can do it with three four big songs in a matter of months and become a star on right. the internet and especially if you have a personality that the fans love you for you know you can you can skyrocket mm -hmm. um and become a legend overnight so yep trends change you know some artists come out of nowhere and you know some festivals book them and pay them a lower fee and then promote we, we, we market festivals basically all year round so electric zoo is over we're already marketing the next okay. year right after yeah. yep. so if we if we have a talent uh, and this artist makes three big tracks, four big tracks. By the time we are at Electric Zoo, this this person is helping us a great deal. So it's it's mm -hmm. important to be visionary also on talent and not just get the big guys. Yep. But mix and match and make sure there's sound for everyone and also make sure there's this X Factor artist that are like you believe in them and you think these guys are gonna have a big year. Mm -hmm. You know, you put them in the lineup. So you know, the biggest difference is whereas before a lot of the festivals were just starting out. So it was a lot of like trying and pushing. I think now a lot of festivals have been around enough for people to know what they represent and right. what they can expect. And it becomes a little more about the talent just because, you know, mm -hmm. people already know what, what to expect. Yep. Well, obviously like social media plays a role as well too. And like word of mouth, because now, you know, we know how hard you guys are working to make it the, the best event possible, but then you have, you know, festival vloggers or people who are capturing what the event looks like. And I feel like people are now looking to those people to see what the actual event is like or reading online afterwards, like a review of the festival. So how much do you think that plays a role in everything as well? I think it makes it harder. So my... A very important um, understanding that I've developed since the beginning of being a promoter mm -hmm. is that every experience, every festival is made for a specific audience. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a techno festival, it's likely you're going to have dark environment, lasers, you know, and, 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 and that's what the techno crowd will want. But if you're doing like a tropical house, that's not what you're looking for, right? Yep, yep. It's going to be like a different environment. So I think I think I lost the track of thoughts. Well, no, you're good. <laughs> About social media and people. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my point is like, okay, well, I can go to a festival tomorrow. I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on social media. I'm going to tell everybody how great it is because I have yep. the best experience. Right, right. But just because I love it means nothing mm -hmm. for you. You know, will yeah. you love it? So I think, you know, the point what that I was trying to make is is one festival can be loved by someone totally not loved by mm -hmm. another. Right. And I think okay. the best thing for the promoters, and that's what I do and I'll continue doing it, is focus on the demographic mm -hmm. that on the audience that you created this festival for. If you created this festival for, you know, house and techno music, make sure that mm -hmm. the experience constantly evolves and gets better. To what they interest are, and you know what that means in production. You know what that means yep. in terms of talent. You know what that means from you know even marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, I, th I think social media is great, but also can be confusing because yep. it will it can, it can just make people think that this isn't for them. And right. I think the only way to to deal with it is to just just travel or mm -hmm. follow the people or listen to the advice of people that are not just popular. But right. you know you share a lot of interests and values with them because mm -hmm. 
if they like it, you like. It's like a yep. Amazon recommendation system. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's so true. And you're, I mean, you're very big on experiences too. I want to talk a little bit about um, Elro as well. Can you can you describe Elro to somebody who's never been to an event? <laughs> yeah, it, so it's a it's it's a craziness. You you're standing yeah. in the middle, and if everything is right, you are surrounded by this immersive experience. You look to your right. There's a giant giraffe. You look to your left. There's some other <laughs> crazy dudes. You look in front of you, and you can't tell if these people are part of the show. They just ravers mm-hmm. dancing, and there's a really uplifting house music. There's confetti flying everywhere. There's like priests dancing on the, <laughs> on the stage. I kid you not. It's yeah. craziness, and it's craziness because the founders of the brand are crazy. Right. <laughs> in the best way possible. They are yes. very humorous. They're very creative. And they their mission is just to create something no one else has where the fan is the centerpiece, immersive experience. The right. music matters a great deal. Without prop uplifting music, Elro doesn't work. But mm-hmm. who plays the music is irrelevant. Right. Elro does not sell the tickets to the fans based on who is on the lineup. You know, mm-hmm. the brand respects the talent, loves to work with everyone whose music makes sense right. to the show. So a lot of great artists are working with it. But in essence, we can put one guy, one resident, and as long as he'll play that music, the fans will have a great time because it's not about who's playing, who's behind the mm-hmm. decks, you know? Yep. So, yeah, and it's just like, it's it's different shows. It's different. It's like um, Cirque du Soleil meets yes. like house music <laughs> with a component of like Broadway show and a, and a festival. Right, uh, right. It, it's worth experiencing for everyone at least once. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, if you love it, come back. And if you don't love it, it'll be a unique experience. You'll Nobody ever regrets going to a world. Right. Well, you brought it to, I was going to say, it was at Electric Zoo as well, which was a good introduction for people who may not have experienced it. Because I remember seeing the tent fully decorated. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy right now, hindsight, I think about it. You know, it's actually very risky. So the one thing about Elro, if it's not properly set up, it's, if it's not in a specific environment, if the production is not set up to fit that space, then it doesn't work as well. It really has mm-hmm. to be properly done. That's why so much goes into planning and so many people are traveling and involved in setting up every show, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great in- in introduction to, to the market. And I think, you know, the follow-ups to it were really... Uh, meaningful and uh, the first, the very first Elro took place in this small venue in Manhattan. I forget mm. the name. It was 800 people. It sold out. They had no re- like it was resident DJs and a couple of friends. Wow! Yeah, we sold out, and then it went from 800 to like 4,300 the next year because just you know I think people got it. You know, mm-hmm. it was like a lot of people tell me, oh, it's never going to work in America. It's a, it's like a circus, you know, in America. You mm-hmm. need to have like big DJs playing. If it's not the DJs, no one's going to come in. And I'm like, I bet you're different. And yeah. so we've grouped up and we said, let's take this chance. Let's pro- produce proper shows. Let's spend the money. We lost some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've showed the fans, this is what Elro is. Yeah. We had some uh, hiccups. The first, we were supposed to be the first show at Home Garden, ever. At okay. Home Garden. Yep. Two weeks before, Billy, the owner, called me. I love him, but he told me, uh, MJ, we're going to have to move to the warehouse. And I was like, oh, but you told me it's not going to be moved. But, you know, <laughs> he did his best. And he, him and his team produced the show with us. It was just amazing. I love that warehouse. I'm so happy yep. that it happened there. And then we went to Home Garden in April after that November show. And we ended up being the first show at Elm Garden anyways, because oh, okay. we couldn't open all this time. So it wow. was great. And, you know, those guys for El Ro have been great partners, the Billy and the, the Kenny and, you know, Greg and the, the diet team. That's a great venue. And we're yeah. so happy to work with them. Also, with made the event. It's, you know, we're able to bring in so many artists that I don't think we would be able to bring to New York if it wasn't for the club, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Made the events evolve and... Is having you know great success and you know I think New York once we will deal with pandemic mm-hmm. I think New York will come back to the days of its glory I really believe that I mean yep. I people have formed this really really strong foundation and even though we are on pause right now I think they're eager to come back and all the live streams you know yep. there's a lot of haters 
a lot of memes like how many live streams can DJ do? Listen, <laughs> it makes a difference. People are, are mm-hmm. listening to the music. Spotify is playing a huge role in the growth of music right now. You know, mm-hmm. people are listening to the sets on SoundCloud. That's what I do. Right. Yeah. Still, I still do that work. I got SoundCloud sets. Mm-hmm. Now it's really all the sets of virtual sets. So I understand who's playing who. Every time I hear a track, I don't know. I should jam it. I go to uh, Spotify. I add it to a Spotify mm-hmm. list. I even started doing my own Spotify list called Makazi 21, where I'm just like a Makazi and like a sushi. You want it. Ah, okay. eat what I give you. And 21 because it's, you get <laughs> 21 tracks a week. But like I want to help people learn new music. I mean, the, it, right now, mm-hmm. electronic music is at its best. I've never seen so many really strong genres that I can mm-hmm. see people from different audiences enjoy. Like yep. this house music that I think bass heads will enjoy now, you know, yep. and vice versa. The, and then, the, you know, the electronic commercial music has become a lot more mellow. It almost blends with deep house in a way. Mm-hmm. And house music, you know, these guys like Chris Lake and Fisher, they are so successful. And, you know, the breast, so many guys on that, like a little bit like Pumper. And then these yep. guys in the visa who, who thought that their sound is cooler. But no, now it's really coming together. It, it, it's, I think, once we deal with pandemic mm-hmm. and the vaccines are distributed and it goes away, I feel it's going to be the biggest comeback of all times. Yep. I can, I 100% agree with you. I think so. And I think just in the New York area, well, I I'm curious, I don't know how much you've dealt with this, but why do you have an opinion on why there haven't been any drive-in events in the New York, New Jersey area? Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's break it down. <laughs> There's not that many teams in New York who would produce those events. Yep. Uh, full transparency. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not easy to produce. Yep in terms of cost versus revenue, you mm-hmm. know, and when the government didn't step in and didn't provide any help for the venues or for the promoters. Yep. And already promoters and organizations that produce events had to follow and let go of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Taking a financial risk to lose more money, <clears throat> you know, it's it, it's not as easy as, as one would think, you know, yep. you're gonna lose money and what? Let go of other people, lose more people. Yep. So I think, excuse me, I think everybody wants to do them. I know we want to do them. We've made events. We looked at a lot of options. I know Mirage guys looked at options. It's just sure. there weren't anything viable. And there were huge question marks because you can go plan everything out, pay for everything. And tomorrow, Garmin Cuomo, who I actually think have been doing a great job, yep. will come in and say, sorry, guys, you're not opening up. Right. And then all of that goes to shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then this whole conversation of opening up and not opening up. I want the shows back. Like, this is my life. Now, mind the income and all the money we lost. I lost in the same time. Mm -hmm. I don't want someone's grandma to die. Right. Right? So I want to be very responsible in the way it's done. And I I was hoping for the government to come in and figure something out. But the reality is, I don't know if they can. But the good news is it's behind us now. And I think the future is very bright. And they get taken care of. And there was some shows that were created. Elements guys did some really awesome things. Up, you know, yep. was, I think, you know, camping. And that was safe. And it was double testing. And yep. it all worked out. You know, nobody got sick afterwards. So I, I think next few months, as things get better, I think some of the restrictions will be lifted. And maybe the mm-hmm. bigger shows won't happen. But I think there'll be some... Uh, flexibility, maybe some open air shows, small shows will happen. Yep. You know, and there's a lot of great promoters, uh, Thomas in Arizona, and many others. Uh, yep. did a lot. Where you know they do whatever they can. They 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 do pods. They do you know in UK, Patrick Topping did a lot of stuff. I think uh, we have festival guys did a lot. Mm-hmm. We all try. Yep. No, I appreciate your opinion on it. It's just, I agree with you. I think people think it's like so much easier to produce than it is. So it's good to hear your thoughts on that. And I think New York has just been tricky in general. I mean, I've been attending music festivals since I was 14 in the area. And I know there always seems to be an issue with locations. Like Randall's Island is the area that has Governor's Ball and Izu. But I know EDC New York didn't return. I used to go to this rock festival for like eight years in a row that ended up having issues with, uh, I think it was city field or MetLife stadium and stuff like that. So I don't know. Is there, is there an issue with space and locations as well for larger scale festivals? Uh, well, it's a lot of different things. A lot of the bigger areas, uh, 
public properties, like they belong to government, like Department of Parks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not as easy. You know, I think that for where we are in New York right now, I think the amount of festivals and clubs is, is in a good place. You mm-hmm. know, too many wouldn't work. I mean, this Halloween in New York has become, yeah. you know, a destination. So a lot of my industry friends are now, instead of going to London or wherever they used to go, coming to New York because, mm-hmm. you know, there's always the City Fox Festival, Circle Loca happens, Little Elrol. Excuse me. There's a lot of things that <laughs> happen on Halloween. So I think New York is on the map. But New Year's, more people are coming from New York now that I've seen in many years. And I think there's going to be a place for more, you know, smaller festivals soon and, 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 and more venues, you know. But I think right now, yeah, it's not easy to produce a festival. It's a full-time job. It mm-hmm. takes an entire year to plan everything out. And, you know, you always have to pray it doesn't rain, as you know. And, you know, God forbid something else happens. It's a big responsibility. financial obligation and yeah it's only a handful of people that can really do this that's why you're gonna see everyone just jumping in and doing it yep well i i know i only have you for a couple more minutes here so i did want to ask you at the end here about if somebody listening wants to get into this industry do you recommend a certain path that they take or any advice obviously it's much harder now but i know you said it's you see a lot of the same people all the time so are there still opportunities for new people to come in there's a lot of opportunities. There's going to be more of them as the scene grows. Mm-hmm. I think the number one advice I have for the, you know, I have a lot of people that are messaging me and emailing me. And I'm very humbled to, you know, see such overwhelming, like, thank you so much. Thank you for what you guys do. How do we do what you do? Is the question mm-hmm. that everyone asks. <clears throat> and I think it's been like this always. You know, it, it's a sector. It's an industry. You have to come prepared. You have to have a certain skill set. You have to be able to work more hours than in any other sector, I think. I'm sure there's something uh, that requires even more. But it's one of the most um, work. That you can't do this if you're planning to do a 9 to 5 or 10 to 6. Mm-hmm. All year, all day around. And if you want to make it, you have to identify what your skill is. And you have to evolve it. So mm-hmm. that you have the expertise that people need, and then you'll be a part of this uh, the ecosystem where you can work with different festivals, different clubs. You can <clears throat> change jobs. Don't expect to just come in and it's like, "Oh my God, I love it! I want to do it so badly!" And now <laughs> can you get to take pictures on Instagram and show it to my friends. And yeah. that's what I think a lot of people are trying to get into it for. Mm-hmm. This isn't how it works. It's a job, just like a job you would have with any other sector. You have to do it really well. You have to be creative, innovative, organized and everything in between. But I think if you want to get into it because you love it, identify who you are. You know, yeah. what are you? Are you you can be an accountant and and and, and work in finance in, in live events and be able to go to more events and be a part of a team that produces it, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Just identify who you are, what your skill is, set your goals. And then pick yourself a, a career path, right? A lot of people want to jump right in and go work with us at Electric Zoo. I'm like, slow down. Yeah. Like work for a record label. Maybe work for Spotify. Maybe work for music tech. Maybe work uh, for the artist management. Maybe work for the talent agency. <clears throat> really learn 360. Understand how it works. And then if you want to commit and you think this this is for you, yeah. And have the stamina to to not sleep sometimes days in a row and really really do it. Then decide what your career path is, start it, and you can always optimize and study, always learn, always learn and, yep. you know, um, discover, take classes, uh, make sure you have a mentor who can help you and, and then mm-hmm. you grow. Awesome. I think a lot of people are going to appreciate that advice. And I think because of the popularity of festivals and things like that, I think there's so many more people that want to have jobs and, you know, you only think of like the big things like work for live nation or something like that. But I think there's so many other avenues to get in there. Um, and I want to chat a little bit at the end here. This has been amazing talking to you. I feel like you have so much more advice and stories to give. So do you want to talk a little bit about our next collaboration that we're going to be doing together? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that was a good question to ask in the end. So the thing yeah. is, because I have been uh, able to answer a lot of people and, and given them uh, and I, and what, how I would do, how I would get into <clears throat> music and live events, mm-hmm. you know, I think 
What would be more interesting than me answering is to invite guests that have been around, had a journey, and have become well-known experts. These are mm-hmm. people that can tell their stories and can further explain to people why this industry is great and, and, and what's inspiring, why they love it, but also what are the challenges and how to overcome them. And mm-hmm. so I'm very happy to do a Festival Insider podcast with you. I think mm-hmm. we'll do a good tech team. You will hate me very quickly. I'm going to get very <laughs> annoying, but it'll be fun. I will invite some really great friends and they'll tell their stories. And I think everybody will appreciate it. And, you know, I think why I love the idea is I know for sure that I would listen to this. Yep. So I know the industry will, will be tuning in, but also the fans will be tuning in. And I hope it, uh, it, it grows into something real because, you know, mm-hmm. I think uh, we come from two different perspectives. And I think you and I would, would make it so that both sides really understand and, you know, it'll yeah. be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Same here. No, I'm so excited. And yeah, for anybody listening, I feel like this podcast is a little bit more community oriented, I would say. And this Festival Insider is more like industry professionals and even festival goers who want an even closer look into what this industry is all about. And we're going to talk about so many other topics, but there's going to be some really, really interesting guests coming on that. So that we don't have an official date yet, but it probably will be launching in February. Boy insiders, buy insiders. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be so fun. And lastly, is there anything else you want to plug or where can people connect with you online? The one and only. That's my Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. And, uh, you know, I'm always happy to respond. But if you guys are not getting a response right away, just please, please be a little bit patient. I do take a day out of the week and go through them. And uh, I really want to thank everyone for support. That's one thing I've been really blessed with. Mm-hmm. Not just my colleagues. You know, I have, we have the best team ever. Joey and Dimitri have been with me forever and ever. And I love them. They're like brothers to me. And, you know, I'm very grateful. There's a lot of ups and downs, but I'm very grateful for all the opportunities that I've gotten. And more recently, of course, you know, I'm happy to have a partnership with, with made event like Zoo Teams and be a part of that still is important to me. And, of course, Elro is my passion. And, I, you know, I can't wait to get back so we can do a lot of it. And I invite all of you to attend an Elro show and have a shout out. 1942 with me and come to made the event shows <laughs> and electric zoo and you know we are launching a lot of projects to help promoters uh market the shows and then mm-hmm. and, and book more uh interesting talent and stand their audiences and then we'll also be launching uh new projects to help the fans uh to experience festivals in a better way and you know not to miss pre-sale lots in a way lots lots of news to come i'm sure we'll talk about it more in some yes. of our podcasts as well Yeah, of course. No, thank you so much for your time today. I will be linking a whole bunch of things in the show notes and everything so people can connect. Yes, stay tuned for Festival Insider Podcast. It's going to be awesome. Um, MJ, hang tight. Everybody else, I will be back. Happy New Year. Bye. You're the bestest. (laughs) Alrighty, you guys. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with MJ, I genuinely loved learning more about him. And just like, I think these topics are super interesting to talk about. And I don't normally get to ask these types of questions. So I'm glad I got to like get some questions in there, especially about like the drive-in events um, and electric zoos growth and Elro, like all this stuff is super interesting. And I hope you enjoyed that exciting announcement. I just wanted to talk about it a little bit more to fill you guys in on what's been going on. But yes, we are starting a new podcast together. Rave Culture Cast is going nowhere. I'm still doing this every single week. There is no change there. But um, MJ had reached out to me. I am super honored that he wanted to work with me and wanted me to co-host this with him. Like I feel like there's a lot of trust behind that. Um, and I'm super excited. And so basically, it's going to be the Festival Insider podcast. So again, Festival Insider is basically like your inside information more into like festivals and the industry. So, you know, we're still working out a lot of the details. I'm not sure if it's going to be weekly or biweekly, but we are going to have some incredible interviews with industry professionals, artists, influencers, like people really involved in the industry. Um, We already have some amazing people lined up. You guys are going to die. So it's going to be so, so exciting. I'm super nervous, but... 
I can't wait. This has been such a huge opportunity and I couldn't wait to share it with you guys. I think this is the first place I'm really talking about it. So that's exciting. A little news for Rave Culture Cast. But yeah, um, so I think of Rave Culture Cast to me as this is a community-based podcast. I started this for the rave community and for the EDM community. I wanted to have to talk about topics that we all think about and we all relate to. And I also just wanted to have people in the community, other ravers, business owners, artists. So it's definitely way more, you know, community community oriented. And then Festival Insider is going to be way more like industry news and information um, and professionals, like people who have been working in the live events and like EDM industry for years and years and years. So Yes, if you guys are a fan of this podcast, definitely go check it out. Again, right now you can connect um, with us at Festival Insider is a great place on Instagram. And there are so many more things to come with socials. I'm sure we're going to have a YouTube channel at some point. Um, So just, you know, stay tuned and bear with us while we work out all the kinks and get this thing off the ground. But thank you in advance for listening over there. I, again, I'm just so, so, so excited about this. I feel like it's a whole new chapter for me and I can't wait to work with MJ on this. So I feel like that is gonna be super exciting and open so many doors. So uh, yeah, I'm very, very pumped about it. Okay, let me jump into EDM news, you guys. I have a couple things to chat with you about. Um, So first off, This was something that carried over from last week, but Zoo, any Zoo fans out there, he teased that a new album is coming this year. So I don't have any dates announced just yet, but nothing is better than new Zoo music. So I'm very, very excited to see what he comes out with. Okay, a couple festival announcements. Actually, just one this week. Um, Governor's Ball, if any of you guys are local to the New York City area, you will know that GovBall normally takes place in June on Randall's Island. It's the same place as Electric Zoo. Um, so they just announced that they are moving the event. So it's going to be this year, September 24th to the 26th. Um, same location, I'm pretty sure, Randall's Island. And it says new year, new dates, new lineup coming soon. So it says, rest assured, we are working closely with the city and state authorities to ensure a safe experience for all. For more information on rolling over your 2020 tickets or to request a refund, head to govball.com. So yeah, more on that as it all gets worked out, but we'll see. I would hope that New York can have events by September, but New York's been really strict throughout this whole time so I'm a little like hesitant to believe that or Electric Zoo we'll have to see what happens with it but still just wanted to share that info with you guys all right any Porter Robinson fans out there I know you guys are excited I recently mentioned that he said his album was done um, but we're gonna get a single it's coming out on January 27th which I think that's the day this podcast comes out yeah I'm pretty sure it comes out today so he has a new single called look at the sky coming out today which is really really exciting um, and yeah and we're just anticipating more music from him and an album coming from him so Uh, I will probably talk about it next week after I've had a chance to listen to it. In other news, this was pretty shocking. Uh, Flux Pavilion came out and said that he is going to be venturing out of dubstep. So he said that on Twitter and he said, I just don't really enjoy writing it anymore. I've spent 10 years exploring it and now it feels right to move on. So very, very interesting. Again, I feel like if any artist wants to explore something new or go to a different genre or reinvent themselves, they have literally every single right to. And if they don't really love making music anymore, then they shouldn't make music anymore. So I'm excited to see what he does. I had, a, you know, the chance to see him live a few times, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, you know, he made some waves in the dubstep industry and made some pretty iconic tracks. So I'm excited for his next new chapter and I'm excited to hear like what he eventually comes out with. Okay, and the last thing I have is Grizz. Um, I saw a whole chain of tweets he put out basically talking about future tour dates. So pretty much all he said is that he was having a conversation about locking in future tour dates. He said, I, we've been having these convos every week, but now we're starting to lock in some actual real shit and I'm so fucking stoked. And this is all with like hoping slash praying for the best. Everything could change. And after almost a year of massive disappointments, I'm okay with the state of flux. But also, let me just take a moment to be optimistic. And then he said, and no, they're not drive-ins. And no, it's not just going to be in Florida. 
So I think people are really, really excited about that. I mean, it's going to be weird. Like, it's going to be a weird transition. I feel like no matter what, right? Like, as things start to open up and as more and more states start to have live events, I just feel like that transition is going to be weird because now we're so used to not having shows. So everything is going to be touch and go. I feel like we all just need to be flexible with anything. Um, And that's just going to be how it is for a while. And same thing for music festivals. So that is everything I have for EDM news. I've got some incredible songs to share with you guys now for my songs of the week segment. Okay, we've been down a rabbit hole, fam. Let me just start out by saying that I basically I have a live stream set recommendation. I listen to Morton's live stream set. Um, I posted it in the Rave Culture Cast Facebook group. So if you guys join that, you will have a link to it in there. It is so fucking good. I listened to it three times the other day. Like I cannot stop. And it was basically all like his future rave project that he did with David Guetta. I'm sorry, but like that entire album is fucking fire. And the music they've been putting out is so, so, so good. So that set alone, I recommend listening to. Um, Let me see if I can find what it actually was for any of you not in the group. But um, the song recommendation that I'm really really into from David Guetta and Morton is let's love the future rave remix bitch the drop in that is so fucking filthy I can't even talk about it um okay this is the set it's future rave presents Morton live at TES studio 954 and it's from the YouTube channel is it Tez sorry if I'm stupid TES studio 954 Morton's future rave set so 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 good um and then again a single recommendation is let's love the future rave remix um turning to a completely different direction here I'm also super into Lindsay Sterling's new song so for those of you who don't know I believe she's an electric violinist um I think I've seen her name on like electric forest lineups in the past but her new song lose you now is beautiful it's just like an emotional heartfelt song and the violin in it is like amazing um and if any of you guys can relate to this if you're watching Bridgerton right now or you just binge watch Bridgerton on Netflix it's like a period piece in like the 19th century but it's kind of like meets Gossip Girl and it's like a little 50 shades of gray kind of it's so good I binge watched it two times now (laughs) the entire season And they basically take modern music in that and then do like an orchestral version of it Um, or they make it sound like it's the 19th century, but it's like Ariana Grande and Taylor Swift and all that stuff. It's so, so, so good. Lindsey Sterling's new song, Lose You Now, kind of gives me those vibes. I don't know if it's just because it's the violin and it's kind of like a modern sound and it's still a little dancey. Anyway, tangent over. I'm completely obsessed, so listen to that. Uh, And lastly, John Summit's new song, Beauty Sleep, is awesome. I love the vocals on this. It's such a catchy house track, and I've said this a bunch of times. I predicted him to be a rising artist in 2021. I think he's just like the future of house music. He is just really bringing a fun energy to house and to the genre, Um, and I really, really love the live sets he's been doing, so I cannot wait for live shows to come back, because I've never seen him live, and he will be one of the first sets I want to see live, so those are all of my recommendations. They will be in the uh, show notes description on YouTube, and I can always post them in the Facebook group, but with all of that being said, you guys, that is everything. I know it's a long episode today, but thank you so, so much for listening. Again, a couple things at the end here. Please go connect with MJ. Say hello. Say Rave Culture Cast sent you. Uh, You can connect with him at the one and only on Instagram and Twitter. And again, stay tuned for more announcements about the Festival Insider podcast. You can follow at Festival Insider on Instagram. And of course, you guys, if you are enjoying Rave Culture Cast, you know, I don't really do any marketing for this other than word of mouth. So it is a huge help for you guys to make this your Instagram stories today. Send a link to a friend, you know, review on iTunes. It takes like 60 seconds to write a review and I would appreciate it so, so much. So thank you guys for doing all of those things. And again, I would love to have you inside the Facebook group community. So come and join the Rave Culture Cast community over there. And with all that being said, I hope you all have an incredible Wednesday. Again, remember the affirmation for today. I create my own destiny.
do something this week for yourself that your future self will thank you for. And on that note, thanks for watching, you guys. I will be back next Wednesday with a new episode. Bye, guys.